You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. All right. Well, we've had one of those mornings already. So note to self, don't show any HD videos in the service because, you know, the sound goes, but the video didn't want to cooperate and, uh, and then pay attention to where you're singing. But anyway, I want to this morning, do you remember um, when you were a kid, how many of you played Simon Says when you were a kid? Remember that? Okay. Is that a game anymore? Do kids even play that? Is that still a thing? I, it's not, yeah, I had a hunch it wasn't, you know. So, kids, if you uh, never played Simon Says, the person up front in the room is Simon, and they're supposed to say, Simon Says, touch your nose. And when you hear the code, Simon Says, everybody in the room touches your nose. And then when Simon Says, touch your toes, you're supposed to touch your toes. But when they say, touch your knee, if you touch your knee, when Simon didn't say Simon says, you're out of the game. And the whole goal of the game was to be the person that, you know, obeyed and paid attention to the code and was like kind of the last one standing, that kind of thing. Well, this morning, I'm not going to play Simon says, although that might, might be kind of interesting. I've never been in a church service where like we all did Simon says. You know, how do you win and influence brand new people at a church? That's the weirdest church I ever went to. They played Simon Says on Sunday morning, you know. And uh, anyway, we're not going to do that. But I am going to talk to you about Wisdom Says. We're going to kind of go fast like the Simon Says game is. And uh, But I've got five things that Wisdom is going to talk to us about this morning. It's so interesting. And, uh, you know, when you read, I hope you read the Bible and your devotions. A lot of people use a devotional, and that can be a helpful guide as well. But I, there's nothing like even just reading the Bible itself. In fact, those two things together are really good. Reading the Bible and then reading something along the way that just kind of helps you understand the Bible. It just just like you eat all week long, we need that kind of that daily diet of God's Word. We truly don't live by bread alone, as Jesus said, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, uh, and Proverbs, but, but as you study and read those things, it's so helpful. And part of the reason we preach through different books of the Bible is because you see things and you kind of make connections and you understand things a little more holistically and how they go together. The first couple of chapters of Proverbs have been very... Uh, now, I don't want to say theory, but kind of abstract, if you will. They're just, hey, we need to be wise and obey God and pursue God because God will bless your life. And now God is giving us five clear, just very specific examples of how we need to obey God and what happens when we do obey God. And honestly, the, the reality is if we don't, there's also some consequences of what not. So these are five quick things that we're going to look at this morning, just kind of rapid fire that Solomon has taught the, us as kids. He said, my son, you know, listen to what I'm telling you. And then he gives us five just examples of why this whole thing is so important that we've been talking about. He says this, he says in chapter 3, verse 1 of Proverbs, he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your heart, write them or around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Those are three of them. I'll read the next two in a minute. Five things that, that we are told this morning that we need to consider uh, when it comes to wisdom. Think about this as like the ch uh, checkup. When you go to the doctor, you know, and get your annual physical like you're supposed to do, or if you've got kids, you know, they're, they're well baby checkups, whatever. But think about these like five different areas that, that the physician is looking into our lives spiritually. Five just really practical things. And there's enough things in here that every one of us in this room should be hearing this morning. Yeah, here's an area where you need to think about. And so by the time that I'm done and be thinking about along the way, okay, God, which one of these are you trying to speak into my heart that I need to grow in this morning? So the first one is this. The first one is, is wisdom says obey God in your heart. Obey the Lord from your heart. You see, we're told to not forget the teachings of God, but instead, this is a big word for this passage, heart, let your heart... Keep your commandments. We're to obey God and obey God in our heart, in our, in our soul, in the deepest part of our body. We live in a world today that says to be true to yourself. you got to obey your heart. Follow your heart. Do what makes sense to you. Oh, listen to your heart. And the Bible tells us actually the exact opposite. Instead, it says that we should obey God and what the Lord tells us, and we should do that in our heart. We should keep Him in our heart. We should be pursuing what God commands us. Now, there's two places, kind of two levels, if you will, here of obedience. There's a one basic level that's more of in our head or in our body, if you will, that we just we obey and we do what we're told. But there's a deeper level that when we do what we should and we do it without a grumbling or a complaining or a disobedience in our heart. You see, you can obey with your hands and disobey in your heart. Think about it this way. Kids, when the teacher gives you an assignment or those of you in college, the professors give you an assignment, it's easy sometimes to think, I'm just going to do the bare minimum with what I'm expected to do. And you do it and you submit it. But on the inside, you know you didn't do your best. On the inside, you complained about it. On the inside, you're like, this is stupid. Why do I have to do this? Why am I supposed to do that? You see, that's not obeying in your heart. That's obeying in your hands. That's obeying to a degree in your head. But that is not obeying in your heart. You see, obedience from the heart says that whatever we do, we do to the best of our ability to honor God. That's where real obedience is. You see, God is looking at our heart, and He tells us that we should obey Him in the depths of our soul. And when Susan and I, as our kids were younger, we kind of helped our kids along the way. When we gave them a, an assignment that was fit their age and was appropriate and all of those kind of conditions and qualifiers, our definition of obedience was immediate, without, you know, without hesitation, without qualification. They didn't negotiate, you know. Can I mow the half the lawn, Dad, and that be good enough? No, I said mow the lawn. That's 100%. So it was, you know, immediate. 
without, you know, any kind of qualification and without complaining. You see, because those things get to the heart. God doesn't just look for the end result. He's looking at the heart that brings the end result. So when we talk about wisdom, wisdom this morning says that we should all obey God from the heart. Now, that goes not only for kids when you're at school and when you're in your studies, mom and dad, and for the rest of us in the room, that means when our boss gives us things we really don't want to do, that we think is dumb, that we think is a waste of time, that we think is far beneath what we should be doing and not what our job description says, and we, I'm too good for this, I should be doing something else, or this is just ridiculous. Wisdom says it doesn't matter. Wisdom doesn't say, oh, yeah, you're too smart for that. Yeah, you should just really not do that. No, wisdom says you do it, and you smile, and you smile inside your heart. You don't just put on a good face on the outside and gruff and grumble. We've all done that, gone to the copier machine, I can't believe it, and come home and complain. And wisdom says, no, that's not genuine obedience. Wisdom says when we live our life under the rules and the authorities and the obligations around even as we live in this world around us, that we do it with an obedience in our heart, without grumbling, without complaining, without qualifying, without negotiating, without manipulating, and all of those things, that everything in our life is to honor God. Now, folks, probably there's something in there that all of us need to hear this morning. An area of our life where we struggle with that and we complain about those things, but God says, look, Obey, obey in your heart. And when you do, here's the blessing. Each one of these five things has a blessing. When you do, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. See, mom and dad, one of the best things you could do is to teach your kids to obey. To obey without, not just outwardly, not just haphazardly, half-heartedly, but with a whole heart obeying them because the Bible tells us that God's blessing comes and adds years to life and peace in their life to our kids. We do not do anyone in our circle of influence any favors when we allow them, enable them, encourage their disobedience even in their heart. In fact, we are bringing a curse upon them for the rest of their life when we create that pattern and that trajectory of life. The Bible says that instead, when you and I learn that obedience to God in heaven out of a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, that there is a blessing that settles in on our life. Now, be careful. This is not a, uh, this is not a, 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 this should not create in your heart, well, so and so died when they were 30 years old, and they were such a model Christian and so obedient to God. Is God's word lying? Because the Bible says that, hey, if you obey God, you'll live a long life. That's not what this is saying. This is not a promise that you and I are going to live to be 100. To be honest with you, the older I get, I don't want to live to be 100. You folks are great, but somewhere along the way, I'm like, I think there's something better. I'm going to be kind of like ready for that. I really am. But this is not a promise of a long life. But what this is saying is this, that when you obey God, the tendency, the patterns of your life produce pragmatically and practically in your physical body, longevity and a peacefulness 
in your life. Let me give you a, a, an easy example. CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, came out two months ago, published a report. You've heard about the virus uh, monkeypox, right? Came out with a report two months ago. They said 99, this is CDC, okay? These are the top dogs and they get what this is all about. 99% of the people with monkeypox are men. 94% of the people with monkeypox were men who had had intimate contact with another man recently. It, was, it is a virus at that point, and that's not to say that it has not morphed and go beyond that. I'm just telling you where it was at that point in time. Among people who were not following God's pattern of their sexuality and what God designed in life. They were disobeying God in that area, and they were experiencing the reality of this proverb that says, you are not going to enjoy peace when you disobey God. Those are realities. Now, all of us need to learn from that, that any time we disobey God, any time we disregard what God says to do, and when we don't do it in our heart, we invite trouble. We invite problems. We invite heartache. And sometimes we do die early because of the choices that we make in this life. And all of us have done that many times. That's one easy example that I can give you kind of statistically to point that out. But all of us are guilty of disobedience to God. And when we do, it's kind of like, you ever stay in a motel where the, they have the doors on the outside of the building, not the inside? I never feel as safe in those, in those environments. I don't know if that's reality or not, but you know, there's a couple of, a few times I've done that. But in essence, when you and I disobey God, it would be like you turning the light off, going, opening the door, putting on the sign that says, all welcome, and going to bed. You basically are inviting whatever kind of crazy trouble is floating around into your life. And that's exactly what we do when we disregard and disobey what God says. So Simon says, wisdom says, obey God in your heart and it will bring blessing into your life. When we disregard it, you and I will suffer consequences. Many of those are natural consequences in this world around us and we will not experience the blessing of God in our life. Second thing, wisdom says. Wisdom also says, keep love and faithfulness. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake, forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In other words, hold on to loving kindness, the steadfast love in your soul, and hold on to faithfulness. See, so far, most of what obedience has been, until we're kind of now getting to the heart of things, has been more on the outside. And we tend to think about that. Well, they obeyed and they did this and that. But when we think about wisdom, when we think about the obedience that pleases and honors God, we're talking about something that's much deeper, that's on the inside. Again, we're talking about the heart, that we are to keep these things down in our heart. They're to be written on the tablets of our heart. In fact, the Bible says... And love and faithfulness is not something that's on the outside. It's something that's on the inside of us. You see, our lives, what God is trying to do is to transform our life through Jesus Christ so that 
outcomes, whatever we do in life, when we're at work, when we're driving down the road, whether we're tired, whether we're hangry, you know, hungry and angry, whatever is going on in our world, under pressure, under stress, that there is a deep current and a consistency in our life of a steadfast love and a faithfulness in the middle of that. I'll be honest with you, I don't live up to that 100% of the time, and I know you don't either. But that's what God's trying to put inside of us. See, that only comes through Jesus changing the inside of us. That's why we love life change here. God wants to change our lives, and He does it through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose again so that we can be not only just forgiven positionally of our sin and go to heaven and have a relationship with God and all that stuff, but practically so that as we live our life in this earth, that we more and more become, our lives become in alignment with God and we experience the character and nature and grace of God inside our soul because ultimately this, this steadfast love and this faithfulness is nothing short of God's character being conformed inside of us on the inside. You and I don't create this. In fact, if we ever see, you know, whenever we see faithfulness among our church family, what we're looking at is the fingerprints of God's work in that person's life. And we should strive in the middle of that to be faithful in every way. In fact, this loving kindness, this steadfast love and faithfulness is such a good navigational tool. It's such a good compass in our life that if you're contemplating doing anything or saying anything, if you can come to the terms with it and be honest, that's the hard one, really be honest, that it's really genuinely full of love and faithfulness toward God and the people around you in your life and the persons you're talking to, then you've got a green light. Go ahead and do it. But if it's not, hold on. You better back up. You see, God tells us to hold on to this love. Don't let it, don't let it escape. It means we got to remember what God says. If you look at it, it says, let steadfast and love you know, be there. You've got to hold on to those things and keep them. Let that be the motivation of everything in your life. In other words, you and I get in a whole lot of trouble when we get in selfishness. Have you ever just been cranky and ornery? Just, you ever just kind of realize, like, sometimes, you know, moms and dads, I don't know about your kids, our kids like, you just got a bad attitude today. And we're going to help straighten that out right now. We're not going to continue with that. And this is not going to move on in life. Those attitudes are choices, folks. They come out of our framework of thinking, that we allow things in our life. And what's going on in the middle of that, 99 times that I can tell, it's really selfishness at the end of the day. That's when I'm that way, that's what's going on. I don't like something and it kind of, I don't like it and I feel slighted and not, things aren't the way that I want to be and I'm grunky, grumpy and I cranky and I'm cranky and then I talk to the next person and that comes out and then they're looking at me like, what did I do wrong? And they, you didn't do anything wrong and it's just selfishness in our heart, not being faithful and not being full of love and of kindness. Whenever we do that, it damages our reputation with God and with people. That's the blessing here. If you look, when we do these things, we'll find favor and good success or good prudence and wisdom and a reputation that comes with it. 
in the sight of God and in man. Because people see that, and they see our faithfulness. Faithfulness is in such short supply today. Are you faithful in your work? Are you faithful as you live your life? Are you reliable and firm? Do you make promises you don't keep? Do you put things out there that you kind of half-heartedly intend? Do you make good on all of those things? Are you faithful in your relationships? Even if the other person is unfaithful, are you still being faithful? Those are hard, deep waters to walk through. But that's what God calls us to do. He doesn't say be steadfast in your love when everything's going great. Anybody can do that. He's telling us to be steadfast in love when things aren't going great. And when that situation's difficult, that you and I don't have an excuse and a reason to ignore that. Instead, God is trying to produce that in us through the grace of Jesus in our life that He conforms us in that. So if that's describing you, your response this morning is to say, God, forgive me. I realize I am, am being selfish. I realize I have had a bad attitude, but I didn't realize that really I had a bad attitude over here and I didn't pay attention, but now it's bled out over into other areas. God, forgive me of that. And God, would you transform that little piece of me? Help me to understand what it is in there that's bothering me and what I'm holding on to that I really need to let go of and to be okay with and change me and transform me. Third thing that wisdom says. Wisdom says, trust in the Lord with all your, here's that word again, heart. Heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Don't put weight on it. Don't follow common sense. Don't follow all the things that you think you know. Instead, do this. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He, talking about God, will Make straight your paths. He'll point you in the direction. He'll take care of you and guide it. In fact, the Bible in this passage spends more time talking about this one in its each section than the other five. He goes on even deeper. He's like, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. See, our attitude ought to be to God. God, I am absolutely clueless. I have the IQ of a P. And if you're thinking about this, you're like, Sean, peas don't have a brain stem. They don't have a neurological pathway. That's the whole point. In comparison to God, you and I don't have an IQ of even 0.1. <laughs> we don't even register on the scale in comparison to God. And too often, especially, and we're more dangerous, the wiser we get and the longer we live the Christian life, the more roles we've held and all of that, we kind of think we get somewhere and think we kind of got some things figured out. This is not a verse that just for the 10-year-olds in the room. It's not a verse just for the 15 or 20-year-olds in the room. This is a verse for the 90-year-olds in the room. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on what you think you know. Don't. Don't rely on it. Don't trust it. You think you've learned something? You need to have the attitude that says, I ain't learned nothing. I, got, I don't know. Instead, acknowledge God in everything. That acknowledgement says, God, in every area of my life, I acknowledge that You are Lord 
and your opinion is over my opinion. Your wisdom is far beyond what I have. And Lord, I know that over here, this was the wisdom you gave me, and this is what I should have done, and I did it, it was successful. But I recognize, God, that maybe there's something different. I'm not saying that God changes his words. Whenever you follow the wisdom clearly of the Bible, you're doing right. God doesn't tell us all of a sudden to do right one day and wrong the other, or he would not be a faithful God. But I'm talking about areas of discernment and wisdom and decisions of life. And we should trust God and say, God, I follow you. I trust you. I don't rely on my wisdom. And we are told to acknowledge Him in every pathway of our life, and in our careers, and in our families, and in our finances, and our relationships, that we should all stop and not just act like we got it figured out and know what we're supposed to do, but we're to acknowledge Him. And a part of that is turning our back on evil, not doing that which is wrong, and when we do, it will be a healing to our flesh, to our bones physically. Refreshment, or to our navel, that's what that word flesh means, and refreshment to your bones. In other words, our bodies will experience the blessing of what it means to follow God. I don't know if you've thought about this much. You know, there's one theology floating around out there that if you have disease, it's because you don't have enough faith that God's going to heal you. I don't think that's what the Scripture teaches whatsoever. Um, but there's another that says, that rejects that and acts like there's not a connection between our spiritual walk and obedience with God. And that's, that's a ditch on the other side of the road. Instead, God says, look, if you trust me and you walk in obedience and you're following me and you're trusting me in all of these ways, there's a tendency that it's going, this is going to be a blessing to you physically. Here's the lesson that you, need and I, you and I need to learn, is that sin has consequences in our bodies. It physically will mess you up. And that when we are obeying God and obeying Him in our heart, that it doesn't all of a sudden mean you can act like you work out every day and all day and you know, run in 10 miles every day and your heart's just fit as a fiddle, as they say. But what it does mean is you avoid a lot of the consequences. Our bodies, a lot of the stuff that goes on in our head and our relationships and things that are in our mind and our heart and our soul, they have physical outcomes. And when you and I are sin, and, and this is not to be a long depth thing in it because we can't begin to do that today, and to be honest with you, I'm not smart enough to know all of those ins and outs. But those, that disobedience to God will often manifest itself in our bodies. I'll give you another, I'll give you one, an easy one that's, that's simple. So the Bible says that we shouldn't be drunk with wine. The Bible says that we should not be um, given ourselves to that. So individuals who struggle with alcoholism, because they, when they give themselves constantly to that, ultimately it does tremendous damage to their bodies and takes their life. And I recognize we live in a culture that says alcoholism is a disease, but we need to recognize, yes, there's a physical reality that when the body becomes addicted and used to that and needs that, and we begin to live life and even just kind of coping with the challenges of life on that, 
It's a disease when it gets to that point, much like you would be getting a disease of cancer and injecting cancer cells into your body. It's something that we do. It's something that we give ourselves to. And we've got some responsibilities into the middle of that. And there's a lot of complexities and a lot of challenges of life. And I get all of that. But these are the kind of things that's talking about. So instead of trying to cope with the difficult things of life and numbing ourselves to them, with, with that, we should trust God to help us and look to God for meaning and solution and coping. And as a result, our bodies experience the blessing of a life that trusts God in a beautiful peace and a hope and a security that's found only in Him. And our bodies experience that blessing. It's only one example of many, and we all have lots of other things too, but we should trust God because it even helps us physically. Third thing, fourth thing, wherever I am, honor, honor the Lord in verse 9 with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So we should, financially, we should honor the Lord. We should honor God with our money. You're giving them the first fruits. What that means is when you and I get a paycheck, and I know the world doesn't work this way, direct deposit is a fantastic thing. Some of you get direct deposit, maybe most of you, I don't know. Some of you are independently employed and you get checks in the mail and you, you know, all of that. But however you get your income and however you are eating and living, the Bible says that the first thing that we should be thinking about with that Income is God and what we're going to give to Him. That's the first thing. And I realize Uncle Sam likes to dip his hand in the, tool, the till and reaches in and takes a big chunk out of that. I've gotten a kick and it makes me cry at the same time. But each one of my kids, when they get their first career job, they're like, whoo, look at all this. And then they look at the other things. They're like, they took out that much? I'm like, welcome to the world. <laughs> Thank you for paying for some of the stuff that I've been enjoying, you know. I think we sent a, I think we, we moved an asteroid this week. Is that the headlines? And like $300 million to move it a little bit. So, you know, a third of a billion dollars. I feel so much secure. Anyway, I'll play with that. Some of you are like, well, yeah, that's worthwhile. Most of you are probably like, oh, my goodness. I thank my kids. Thank you for helping pay for that. And taxes are greatly appreciated. So, regardless, and you and I miss this, this is again a heart thing, because sometimes even when we're giving faithfully to the Lord, we don't stop and think this. But our first thing is, to God, I want to honor you with what I've made. That's the first thing that should be in our mind. Instead of the first thing when we get a bonus, whoo-hoo, now I get to buy that thing that I've been waiting for. Or I'm going to work hard to get all that so I can buy this. We should be stopping, and I'm talking to me as much as you, God, I get to honor you. I want to honor you in this. See, it's like, it's like we're being invited into the presence of a king, and we should bring a gift with us, which means we shouldn't be running down to the Dollar Tree and seeing what we can come up with and to offer it to him. We're talking about the king of the world who owns everything. We don't give to Him because He needs. God is not needy, folks. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. In fact, if you didn't know it already, He owns everything in this world. 
which means you and I don't own anything. The little deed that we get for our homes, our, the title to our cars, whatever, yeah, they're just borrowed from God. God owns everything. And us giving to Him is just a recognition that He owns it all anyway. And it's our stepping out in faith and trust saying, God, I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to give, the Bible teaches generously and sacrificial giving, and I'm going to choose to live on what's left. Could we live a little bit larger if we kept some of that for God, from God? Yeah. But we really don't need it. Let's be honest, we really don't need it. We can do without some of the features and functions of life. We will live just fine. We'll be just as happy. In fact, I'm not so sure, but the more stuff you get, the more worried, the more you worried about the stuff you got and all of it, and it just, it really does. And instead, the Bible says, give to God gracefully. And my family, what that's looked like is we've taught our kids all of these years about tithing. Old Testament was a 20 to 25, there was more than one tithe, believe it or not, in the Old Testament. It was like 20 to 25 percent of whatever. And and I, and, you know, I recognize that tithing is the Old Testament clear teaching. We live in the New Covenant. I recognize all of that. But for me, to be real honest, it's been helpful over the years with Susan and I to have just a healthy benchmark because I tend to cheat. Do you ever cheat with things that you want to do in life when you kind of just lower and downgrade and downgrade? And it's been a healthy thing to say, God, I want, to, I want you to be first. And... Honestly, 1% or 2% out of my paychecks is not sacrificial and all of that for me. And so we've taught that with all of our kids. I, once they were younger, they didn't have much of a choice. They had to do that. Now that they're older, I have no clue what they're doing financially. But we've taught them, and their life is on their own. They're responsible for it. But we are to give generously and sacrificially to God. Wisdom says it is wise to give your money away and to give it to God and to God's causes and to trust Him to live on the rest. Fifth thing, and I'm done. Wisdom also says to accept God's discipline. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Notice it doesn't say be excited and be joyful and think this is the most exciting thing in the world. I know there's other passages to talk about. He's like, don't despise it. His discipline, or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves and as a father, the son in whom he delights. A couple observations. Discipline to be worth anything has to be painful. Mom and dad, your discipline has to be painful along the way. God's discipline of us is painful. The reason we despise it or will be tempted to despise it is because it hurts. And it's not only painful, but it usually goes longer than we really want. And God is a loving, gracious God, but He is a firm and tough God. And He does it, the Bible says, the blessing here is a little hidden. All the other ones have blessings too. This one does also. The blessing is, is it shows that we are a child of God. That He loves us enough to pay attention to our life. I don't ride around the streets of Albany or Gilderland or the town that I live in looking for kids that are disobeying. They're not my kids. I don't frankly love them enough. I don't have a responsibility enough. And their own parents would chew me out anyway if I did. But, but when God disciplines us, God does riding around our neighborhood. 
And He is digging into our life because He loves us that much to not just let us be feral kids running naked through the streets doing whatever we well pleased to want to do. And He tells us when we really messed up. Now there's some in positive parenting today that's helpful. We should go to our kids and when they're clueless and they don't know how to do something, we ought not chastise them and punish them for accidents and mistakes that are genuine just mishaps, right? We all do that. Neither should we punish them and jump on them when they just have never don't know how to do something. But when there's been a willfulness in their soul and a calculated decision and they've done wrong, you better believe they deserve discipline. And God disciplines us. And sometimes His hand rides heavy on us. And I don't understand why and how and all that works. But what little I can tell from the times that God has put His hand on me that way, it's because He doesn't want me to forget. He's creating a memory that later on I go and I see that temptation. I'm like, yeah, I know where that road's going. That is not a good day. <laughs> and I go somewhere else. And God, sometimes God will do it. And you experience those things. And I don't know how that all works because God is also a gracious God that He, He wants to forgive you in the middle of it. And so even though He forgives you under the blood of Jesus Christ, He still loves you so much that He holds you accountable for it. And the temptation for you and for me is to be that kid squirming or that person that God's trying to deal with and to get mad at God. And all the while, God's just like, I love you too much to let you get away with this. Why are you getting mad at me? Why are you upset? Why are you frustrated at the consequences of what you've done? God told, you know, Cain killed Abel in the Old Testament. Cain kind of complained to God about the results of that. And you can go read the story behind all of it. And God's like, look, if you do right, everything's cool. But you did wrong, and you know you were doing wrong. You brought this on yourself. It's your fault. And when you and I have done that wrong, part of God's grace to us is restoring us. So as kids, when we really messed up, talking about us as adults, Part of our response to God is, God, thank you for loving me. And we should see that as His loving hand to us. Not as His angry, I'm done with you hand. Some of you may have been brought up in homes where punishment was that. That's not what this is. This is the hand of a loving God that says, I love you. I love you too much to ignore you, to let you keep on going. And I want to teach you better. Yeah, my hand's heavy on you right now, but I'm creating a memory so that you don't forget. And I'm disciplining your soul, training it to follow me. So this morning, which of these lights on the dashboard is kind of going off for you? If you're sitting there saying, Sean, oh my goodness, all of them are hitting me. I don't know what to do. Let me encourage you. At that point, just say, God, which one do I need to focus on once? If five different people throw a ball at you at the same time, how many of those are you going to catch? Very likely none. Hopefully you can just say, well, I'm going to catch that one. It's that one I can deal with. And you let the other four go. Do that. 
Pick the one that God seems to be talking to you, that God seems to be working in your soul. Maybe God's hand sitting in upon you. Say, God, as painful as this is, forgive me. Sometimes God has to lay in on us because we don't want to see where we've done wrong. and We don't want to admit it. And we're stubborn and we're prideful. God's having to lean even harder into us, but He does it because He loves us. Maybe that's what you need to focus in on. Maybe you've been somebody that's kind of blown off the sacrificial giving. That's the challenge that we have. I even have difficulty making it a real part of life today. You know, we Susan and I give. I can't remember the last time I wrote a check. I've probably written a check once in the last, you know, 10 months or whatever. Maybe even more than that. But if we do the first fruits, it means that we need to consider every raise we get and all of that, what we're doing for God. Maybe you've neglected that in your life, or maybe you've kind of, you know, missed that focus in your heart. You've made all of that about what you get. When really we should be stopping and saying, God, what can I give you? Maybe along the way, faithfulness spoke to your heart in the middle of that. I don't know. But all of these things are five practical realities of what it means to live a wise life with some amazing blessings that we get in the middle of it. So pick one that God spoke speaking to your heart about this morning. And I'm going to give you a minute to think about that as well, but also a minute. And um, I don't know if this is as good of a transition because I feel like God is speaking to some hearts this morning. Let me, let me say this. So we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And some of you might be under deep conviction, just like, oh, Sean, I can't go from that to how do I celebrate the supper and all of these things and multitask well. So take a minute to respond to what God's saying. If there's sin in your life that God's that has put His finger on your heart that you're aware of, confess that. And thank the Lord that you are forgiven of that sin because of the blood of Jesus. And commit to whatever you need to do to, to endure, to go through, and all of those things. And take that moment to do that because that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for us to walk for the next months in agony and guilt. He wants us to own it. And He wants us to experience His grace and forgiveness. So take that moment and spend that time with God. And as we participate in the supper, the supper speaks into this because it's a reminder that all of the judgment for our wrong has been paid for. Jesus paid for all the garbage in our life, guys. None of us have lived up to, frankly, not only all five of these, none of us have lived up to any of these. And Jesus paid for that all on the cross. And we celebrate that life, that even in the middle of us not being where we should be, that God still loves us because He's loving, kind, steadfast in His love, and He's faithful. So, there should be a celebration here. And that's what the, the Lord's table is all about. So I hope that makes sense. Take a couple minutes or wherever you are in the middle of that. And if, if God hasn't convicted you or spoken to you in the middle of that message, so be it. But then take a time to celebrate. and Think about what Jesus did for you, that the God of heaven who owns everything sent His only Son to die for you on the cross. And uh, that's what this is all about. So bow your head if you would and, and just kind of prepare and spend a few moments with God.
Father, I can't look into the hearts of anyone. In fact, your word tells me I even struggle to understand the deceptions in my own heart. But Lord, I know that you're a God who sees and everything is laid bare before you, every single person in this room. Lord, I'm grateful for that. It's challenging, it's convicting and overwhelming at times, but Lord, there's such a peace and safety and security in that too. So Father, whatever each person is thinking about and contemplating this morning, or frankly, what they should be thinking about, I pray, Lord, that you would meet them there and that you'd hear their prayers. Father, thank you for Jesus, whose blood and whose grace by dying on the cross is sufficient to cover all of our sin and to give us new life and a new hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you love us enough to teach us these things of wisdom and to give us a, a spiritual checkup. We look at five areas of our life. And so, Father, as we recognize on one hand our sinfulness, we recognize on the other hand your goodness that's beyond measure, that overcomes every one of our failings. And Lord, we celebrate this table together based on that, not based on our goodness, but based on yours. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you go ahead and take the, the cup in front of you. And this is a, something that Jesus told us to do regularly to celebrate his death, burial, and, and resurrection. And he told us to do it with a heart of worship and worthiness. And it's for his children who've received him as Lord, who've surrendered their life to him as Lord and Savior. So if that's you, we invite you to participate and, and to join us in this. And I'm here in the wrapper, so a bunch of you have already opened it. Mine is not cooperating. There it is. Go ahead and, and open your wrapper. And Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 11, when he shared with the church how to do this well, they weren't frankly doing it very well. And I'm kind of in some ways glad because it helps us to know what we should do and not do. <laughs> But he said this, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. I can't believe that. Like that very night when he knew he was about to die, and not just physically die, but to be labeled and to carry all of the sins of the world, that he was functioning and there with his disciples, with the ones that would do him, that had done him wrong. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it that bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup that night, and he passed it around. You can peel yours open if you're careful. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new relationship that I'm making with, between God and people. It would be through my death is what he's talking about. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That there's hope. And that's where this passage ends with us today, that there's hope. Even with our struggles and failings, that Jesus is coming back for us, that He loves us.
Pray with me if you would, and our team's going to lead us in our last song. Father, thank you for that hope and that blessing that we have. Lord, you deal with our junk, and we recognize that, and those are sobering times and conversations, and your scripture confronts us. But Lord, you're also so good to tell us there's grace, and that we're forgiven through the Lord Jesus, what he did, and that you're coming back and returning for us. And so, Lord, we push on, knowing that we have failed in the past, knowing that we will fail again in the future. But for no excuses with that, we push on and we grow and we more and more experience your grace and alignment in our heart with what we should do. So, Lord, help us to be people of wisdom this morning. Help us to take these truths in our soul. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.